All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today for the 50th time. Kelly, we're in the bunker. I wish I had my noisemaker. This is a perfect moment for a noisemaker. I was going to bring my harmonica. I forgot. We all forget. We're living our lives. We're doing stuff. Whoa, Kelly, stop the presses. Stop episode 50. We're coming to you from not episode 50. Hi. The future. This is the same two people that you've been listening to, but now we've just rudely interrupted you. We are interrupting for a special announcement. So episode 50 is a time for us to reflect on how great this podcast has been. We've been doing it every single week for a long time. And we need a break to fan our vanity, apparently. Uh, well, no, no, not just that. <laughs> we need a break for two reasons. One is that I think we've got a lot going on in our own personal lives. You are about to head off literally as this episode is coming out. You are in Colorado. Um, I'm going to be then doing a two-week road trip from the Grand Canyon back up to Portland uh, in in, uh, early May. So because of those two things, we thought, well, we're just going to take off that time. But instead of taking it off, why don't we just slow down the machines of production? Why don't we just do that for once? And at episode 50, that sounds like the best place to start. So we're going to turn it down not only because of life, but also because word has come down. We, we heard this after the episode. They said that we're allowed to leave the bunker. <laughs> so we are so excited that we are going to be able to leave the bunker and get a more permanent um, podcast space to produce these episodes every single week like we have been. But it's been weird stuff in the bunker. And there's we a gotta, lot of things going on. There's a lot of things going on. So don't be sad that we're going to be gone. We've got... We still have supplementals in store that I just have never found a good time to bring out. So we want to do those. So I'm, I'm sure I'm going to throw those out. They'll get peppered in? Peppered in as we go, but otherwise every two weeks. So you're listening to this right now um, on the day that it came out. And, and we're sorry we missed you last week. We're very sorry. We're very sorry. But you have a great, <laughs> great episode ahead of you. Uh, I think it's one of our best. And I think it's something that we want to, instead of, you know, working ahead or something like that, we want to give you quality Every single time. So this one is super quality. Um, you want to ramble is super quality. And uh, so I want you to stop listening to me now and go enjoy listening to me and Kelly. Yeah. From the past. This is us from the present. Who knows where we are in the future. We'll see you at episode 51. Two weeks from now. Bye. This is a Bob Dylan podcast, if you didn't know. We listen to Bob Dylan randomly. We randomly last week selected the great, the brilliant, the enormous Highway 61. All right, Kelly, welcome to episode 50. That's so exciting. Good for us. Noisemaker. That's good. I could just play a clip of Highway 61 Revisited and have the... <laughs> That's a better noise. Whatever you made before, <laughs> that noise is better. <laughs> Kelly, we are here today 
to talk about Highway 61 Revisited, the entire album. So if you've never listened to an album before, we've had two major ones. We've had a couple minor or live, or we've also done bootleg series and supplementals and all kinds of stuff. But we have done John Wesley Harding, and before that, our fifth episode ever was Planet Waves, 1974. We're going to talk about these songs, a little bit of context, but again, we have had none of these songs yet. When we got John Wesley Harding, we had already listened to Dear Landlord and I Dreamed I Saw St. Augustine before getting this the next week. So with this one, we're coming at it eyes open. You probably have heard Like a Rolling Stone before. That's Mm -hmm. probably it. So we are going to dive into that over the course of this probably hour. And uh, and we'll we'll leave you wanting more. I promise you that. So Kelly, initial thoughts right off the bat. Tease the listeners at home. How 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 did you enjoy the greatest album of all time? Oh man, that's, that's so huge! And I can't <laughs> is that wait a leading you... question? I I don't know. <laughs> can't wait for you to back that statement up. I liked it. I don't know that it's the best album of all time, but you know, I honestly can't say that it isn't because I've had my own moments today of like. That's why I want to hear what your defense of it, or I mean, not even defense, because I'm not saying it's not. Yeah, just I know. Explanation. But yeah, I liked it. I, there wasn't a song that I was like, let's skip this one, let's skip this yeah. one. Which is, I mean, that's a testament to a good album, period. If you can sit there and listen and not want to hit skip, not want to move that needle, press fast forward on that tape deck. Yeah, there's no you angel you that you're trying mm-hmm. to jump over. Yeah. Kelly, context time. Ooh, exciting. This album was released on August 30th, 1965. It was recorded in six days. June 15th and June 16th with Tom Wilson, who had done his records up to this point pretty much, uh, which gave us like a Rolling Stone. Uh, He then went to a little little festival called the Newport Folk Festival (laughs) and went a little thing called Electric. Then he came back to the studio and on July 29th to the August 4th, he completed the entire record, which just like with John Wesley Harding, it amazes me that the sessions ended August 4th. The album was out in stores on the 30th. That's wild. Wild. Like, what a different world. I, I guess, obviously, we can just press a button and it's on our computer instantly. But mm. to get the machinery of something like that going, I mean, it that's massive. That's a big thing. But that's also a monoculture thing. Like, every everything is waiting for Bob Dylan and, like, they're shoveling that through. Just a totally different world. Bob Johnston the uh, producer for most of this record, um, said, quote, I told all the musicians, you quit playing, you're gone. You quit playing, you're never going to hear that song again. Dylan would start his song, they'd be a third of the way through, and someone says, wow, I didn't get that. The bass stops, the piano player, Dylan would forget about that song and he'd never hear it again. Whoa. On Dylan, Dylan also has an anecdote about him trying to name the album Highway 61 Revisited, uh, and this is in Robert Shelton's book, uh, Dylan says, quote, nobody understood it. I had to go up the fucking ladder until finally word came down that said, let him call it what he wants to call it. <laughs> and of course, Bob Dylan writes about this in the opening-ish of Chronicles. Uh, quote, Highway 61, the main thoroughfare of the country blues began about where I began. I always felt like I'd started on it, always had been on it, and could go anywhere, even down into the deep Delta country. It was the same road, full of the same contradictions, the same one-horse towns, the same spiritual ancestors. It was my place in the universe. Always felt like it was in my blood. So Highway 61, Kelly, originally went through Duluth. So it went literally right through where Bob was. That's what he was talking about. That's what he was talking about. Now today, it actually, the northern terminus is Wyoming, Minnesota. Um, well, that's confusing. I-35 supplanted the road, so it kind of cuts it off. 
Um, so this was before the interstate was there. And it goes all the way down to New Orleans. So you can drive all of 61 all the way today down to New Orleans. Uh, the intersection of Tulane and South Broad Street <laughs> is where it exodus is. Um, there are so many birthplaces to even list. Uh, people who were born, people who died, people who lived there. Uh, Muddy Waters, Sun House, Elvis Presley, Charles Patton. Um, Bessie Smith, the Empress of the Blues, uh, died in a car accident on Highway 61. No shit. And uh, legend had it that Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads uh, of Highway 61 and Route 49. That's Clarksdale, where he sold his soul? Clarksdale, Mississippi. Damn. Mm-hmm. It's also been uh, the subject of multiple blues recordings. Um, Highway 61 Blues by Roosevelt Sykes and uh, Mississippi Fred Dowell's 61 Highway, both of which are on our playlist that you can listen to at srtwpod.com or search for see that my playlist is kept clean on spotify accolades the album peaked at number three in the u.s number four in the uk the album was certified gold in august of 1967 so two years after it came out and platinum in august of 1997 whoa that's the one thing about bob dylan that's strange is that he has sold lots of records he's up there with a lot of other people but He's not selling diamond records, you know, like most people. What are the numbers on that? A million. A million records. Is platinum? Is platinum. Okay. And that doesn't sound like a lot, you know, again, for for like somebody who is supposedly one of these like greatest musicians of all time. It's one of those weird ones where everybody knows Bob Dylan's songs. They've heard Bob Dylan, but there is that there's something about him that is obviously polarizing. And I think that's contributed throughout the years. Um, Rolling Stones list, which we'll reference a couple of times. Um, ranked this song the, of the 500 greatest albums of all time, number four, behind Revolver, which was number three by the Beatles, Pet Sounds, number two by the Beach Boys, and Sgt. Pepper's number one overall. Now, that was 2003 when that came out. Um, there's a critic, Edna Gunderson, uh, who described the list as predictable and, quote, weighed toward testosterone-fueled vintage rock. Yeah. And that's not not wrong. Yeah. You go back in that some of that back catalog stuff, and you're basically just splitting hairs. Like, making a case for Sgt. Pepper, you can do it. Making a case for Highway 61, you can do it. But on some level, it's just the same stuff over and over. Um, So it's not really the most reliable list, but it's also – but it is a list of consensus. It's a list that the editors of Rolling Stone didn't make. They sent out questionnaires. They worked on this whole survey thing for years. They had musicians, all kinds of people participated, Big, big musicians. Like, lots of people participated to say what their most influential records were, and then they broke it down statistically, and that's how they did it. So there is a legitimacy to the results, if you will, but among the community that they're asking, you're going to get specific results. So take that with a grain of salt. Uh, and on Rate Your Music, which is not <laughs> a typical Rolling Stone community because three-fourths of the top albums of, art of 1965 are jazz records, um, this was number 23, or it was um, it was number two, of 1965, and it was it's number 23 overall, oh, wow. period. Um, however, that's number 23. Blonde on Blonde is number 40. All of Radiohead's discography is in the top 40. So that also tells you <laughs> everything you need to know. So take a bigger grain of salt with Rate Your Music. So, uh, so those are it. And then select quotes, so just to kind of set us up for our discussion. Michael Gray. Uh, of the Bob Dylan Encyclopedia, called Highway 61 Revisited, quote, revolutionary and stunning, not just for its energy and panache, 
but in its vision, fusing radical electrical music with lyrics that were light years ahead of anyone else's. Dylan here unites the force of blues-based rock and roll with the power of poetry. The whole rock culture, the whole post-Beatle pop rock world, and so, in an important sense, the 1960s started here. And Phil Oakes, who we'll talk about multiple times as well tonight, uh, was impressed by Highway 61. He said, quote, It's the kind of music that plants a seed in your mind, and then you have to hear it several times. As you go over it, you start to hear more and more things. He's done something that's left the whole field ridiculously in the back of him. So, Kelly, live. We always do this, and I thought it would be instructive to talk about how many times he's played these live. This is an album of unprecedented strength in Bob Dylan's uh, catalog. The set, if you will, from his never-ending tour is littered with these songs. What song do you think he's played least? Uh, Desolation Row? Wrong. Really? So wrong, yeah. Like, almost the most wrong. God, good gravy. From a Buick 6. Okay. That one, yeah. Yeah, right? That's fair. Two times. <laughs> Very important to note, uh, there's two two main concerts that we're going to concern ourselves with. Uh, one of them is obviously Newport Folk Festival, which is where he went electric. And the other is one of his first shows two days before the record itself actually came out in Forest Hills, New York. So most of these were all premiered there. So in this case right here, he premiered that song at Forest Hills. And then on September 3rd, a few days later, played it for the second time, never touched it again. Hmm. So poor from a Buick 6. Definitely the, the one song on here that you could drop and no one would really care that much. Yeah. Sorry, Buick 6. What would you think the next one would be? Least Played? Yeah. I mean, I know what I would pick. What's that? It takes a lot to laugh. It takes a train to cry. Close, close. But next one is Queen Jane, approximately. Mm. But he played that with, what's it called? 76 times. The Dead. The very first time he played it was July 4th, 1987. He'd never played Queen Jane until he went on tour with the Grateful Dead. Well, hey, look, they did something good. They did do something good. And that song, on second reflection, I mean, it's not good. But it's not, like, the most abominable thing that I've ever... And I actually kind of liked the Grateful Dead. It was fun. I hated it at the time when we reviewed it, but it came around. I'm like, eh, it's fine. I know what to expect. It's all good. Now, it takes a a train to laugh. It takes a lot to laugh. It takes a train to cry. 160 times. I first played it at Newport Folk Festival. Last time we played it was 2005. Hmm. So that might be one we don't hear again for a long time or ever. Next is Tombstone Blues, 169 times from that Forest Hill show to October of 2006. So another song that hasn't been played in a decade. Next, Tom Thumb, just like the Tom Thumb Blues, 243 times from that Forest Hill show as late as uh, July of 2014. So we could hear that one again if you're out there. Desolation Row 544 times. From August, that Forest Hill show, to November 22nd, 2017. I cannot believe it. That dude is still playing that song. Yeah, fantastic. Ballad of a Thin Man, 1,179 times. Hell yeah. From Forest Hills to November 22nd, 2017. Same same as uh, Desolation. Highway 61 Revisited, 1,884 times. From August 31st, so that's kind of a, I don't know what show that is, but that's a day after the record, so he could have been wherever, uh, to November 22nd, 2017. Clearly, so he was just a, like, Highway 61 time, guys. Well, and this was also the tour that was like ending, he just won the Nobel, and he's like in Sweden, and 
you know, he's closing out for the 2017 year, so that's the end of it. And like a Rolling Stone, I think his, his biggest, maybe uh, along the Watchtowers up there, 2,011 times from Newport Folk Festival going electric to October 14th, 2016. Longevity. That's longevity. That is 51 years. Nutso. It's a long time. It definitely is. So, Kelly, before we get into the songs themselves, I think it's it's good for us to preface 1965. Not always the most sexiest year in music. In my head, when you think of the 60s, you're probably thinking of The Summer of Love. You're thinking Late Beatles. You're thinking things like Jimi Hendrix, The Who, Woodstock. Obviously, mm-hmm. th- those are the things that conjure up in your mind. But I think there's a case to be made for the importance of laying the groundwork for that. And I think 1965 is very much that. So what I want to do, what we kind of did on Planet Waves, if you go back and, I mean, at your uh, <laughs> at your peril, listen to episode <laughs> five. But we, we did go over some of the albums that came out. So that'll be uh, interesting for us to do, which leads us to two things. One is that we have a playlist available at SOTWpod.com. I don't know if you can search 1965 and find it. Um, Maybe I'll try to rename it and tweet it out or something like that so that you can find it a little easier. But we just made a playlist of kind of the biggest songs, but not just, you know, going over the billboard charts or whatever, but trying to really read and discern like what were the things that mattered in this year. Um, And I took a lot of uh, a lot of my direction from uh, Andrew Andrew Grant Jackson, uh, who wrote a book called 1965, The Most Revolutionary Year in Music. So if you're interested in that and want to hear about that, A, you can go listen to that playlist, which I think is dope. It's about it's an hour, a great hour and a half, and it's fantastic. And we're also going to be doing a special Mixed Up Confusion that's going to come out with this episode. So even if you don't listen to the playlist, but you know a lot about this type of music, we're going to be going over the big songs, the Rolling Stones, the, the Impressions, um, Phil Oaks, all kinds of stuff. So don't be afraid uh, to jump right in. But in terms of 1965, I thought before we dive into to this record – a couple of quotes from him. He did an interview um, with LA Weekly when this came out, which I would assume was probably two years ago to coincide with the the anniversary. Um, But he lays out why 1965 is so important. Quote, what made the year so monumental was that you had five major cultural forces exploding at once. Civil rights, Vietnam, the pill, psychedelics. And it's important to remember that the Beatles, Beach Boys, and the Rolling Stones all took LSD for the first time in 1965, uh, as well as the influence of musicians' long hair. I think that's kind of more of a joke, but still, way to go, guy. Uh, People were starting to think differently due to new technology. Mass media and the pharmacology of the pill and acid. TV was beaming realities of the civil rights struggle and the war into people's living rooms. The Supreme Court ruled in the middle of the year that states could no longer ban the birth control pill, and the sexual revolution kicked into gear, and a lot of songs began to reflect the changing roles of men and women. And addressing that idea that 1967 which is probably the year for most people when things started changing because the country itself, those things that were happening were at their apex in 1967. He makes the case again for 65. He says, quote, later years like 1967 appear more radical on the surface, but they were building on the innovations that exploded in 65. A number of new genres started, folk rock, psychedelic funk, baroque pop. Bands began exploring Indian instrumentation, feedback, and distortion. Dylan began mixing his visionary folk lyrics with rock and roll that inspired a new lyrical sophistication in, the, in his contemporaries. Suddenly, there were number one songs that were either psychedelic like Mr. Tambourine Man or topical like Eve of Destruction or introspective like Help. 
When Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone made it to number two despite being over six minutes long and sung by a guy without a traditional pop voice, it showed that anything was possible. Now, 1965 started off with a bang, and it's kind of weird that we talk about Like a Rolling Stone with such reverence when on the very first day of 1965, uh, an album called The Chipmunks Sing with Children came out. I'm surprised that... Why is that not on the top of every list? Why is that not on the top of every list? I mean... We might have to rethink this podcast. Make it a Chipmunks exclusive podcast. Sings with children. I mean, isn't that just like nonsense on nonsense? <laughs> it's nonsense on nonsense. Damn. So that was January one. So we really kicked off with a high note with with the Chipmunks. How can we? How can we uh, possibly top that? So a couple undisputed classics. Uh, let me know if you've heard or listened to any of these. But I mean, John Coltrane, "A Love Supreme." It's probably one of those top for everyone on earth who's has glasses and has a top hat or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the Great Otis Redding sings Soul Ballads and Otis Blue both came out this mm-hmm. year. The Beatles released Help at the beginning and Rubber Soul right at the bitter end. Um, a Charlie Brown Christmas came out. What yeah, a yeah. banger of a record. I, I I had no idea. We'll talk about that too. All of this is going to be covered in our Mixed Up Confusion, so I don't want to belabor the point. Uh, the Beach Boys released three albums this year. Beach Boys Today, Summer Days and Summer Nights, and Beach Boys Party, which is the roughest listen I've ever tried to do. It is literally (laughs) like the house party, but they're acting, so it's like so fake. But they're just doing covers, and one of them is a Bob Dylan song. So obviously I clicked on, I'm just like, okay, what you're covering a Bob Dylan song, whatever. Times they are changing. But they're like playing it behind him while he's singing. He's just like, hey, everybody be quiet. I'm singing a song what? because they're they're mocking what it's like to have a house party or something. So weird. It's it is unbelievable that this exists. Uh, the Rolling Stones' "Out of Our Heads" came out, which kind of put them on the map in the U.S. Uh, December's Children and Everybody's came out at, later on in the year. The Who released "My Generation" on the mm-hmm. on one of the last days of the year. Paul Simon released the Paul Simon Handbook, which was his debut solo album. He and Garfunkel had broken up. Until the Sound of Silence was remixed by Tom Wilson, who did like a Rolling Stone, uh, because folk rock is now a thing. It's popular, so they folkified, if you will, an old um, Paul Simon or Simon and Garfunkel song, and basically brought their career from being broken up back to what we think of Simon and Garfunkel now. Bridge over Triple Water, all that stuff would never have existed if it weren't for Tom Wilson meddling with this song without telling them at all, because <laughs> they weren't an entity anymore. Tom Wilson was like, I would have called them. But they were no longer in the employ of Columbia Records. They were not a thing to us. They released a record. It flopped. But I have this song that kids are, for some reason, listening to. I'm going to overdub this with new guitars and, you know, jangly guitars. I'm doing Mm. what the birds are doing. I'm doing what Bob Dylan's doing. And that's the version of And that's the version of that's on our playlist. That song is so good. Yeah, it's so good. And that's the Hello, Dark is My Old Friend. Like, it's such a meme today because of things like Arrested Development, right, The right. Simpsons, but <laughs> right. but it's such a great song, you know. And I love that edit. I love that version. But I'm I think I'm I think we're brought up predisposed to love those versions. Right. We'll get into it more. Uh, Glenn Campbell released the big bad rock guitar of Glenn Campbell. What a great album title. Tom Jones, Along Came Jones. Hey. Frank Sinatra, September of My Years, kind of a waning on his career at this point. It's wild to think of them existing at the same time. I know, it's nuts. Paul Paul Butterfield Blues Band released their self-titled debut, uh, which of course has Paul Butterfield. Also, Mike Bloomfield, who plays guitar on Highway 61 Revisited. That Uh is his band. Uh, A couple debuts this year as well. The Zombies, self-titled. Herman's Hermits, self-titled. Jackson C. Frank, 
self-titled, which we will definitely talk about him a lot more. Uh, and then, I don't know, a little, little, little record uh, called What's Been Did and What's Been Hid by Donovan. <laughs> premiered this year. And a couple of albums that were heavily influenced by Bob Dylan. One, Odetteson Sings Dylan, right there in the title. <laughs> Odetta Sings Dylan. Uh, Mr. Tambourine Man by the Birds, obviously. They also released Turn, 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 which is which is another banger of, a, of, a, of an album and a, and a track. Uh, Johnny Cash, Orange Blossom Special. He had three Dylan covers on there. And Joan Baez, who had like four or five on hers. Uh, year of Dylan, man. Duncan, the Year of Dylan, for sure. I mean, all of these. Even, like I said, the Beach Boys were covering it. Um, and I think those quotes from before really highlighted it. It's like, Bob Dylan has moved so far beyond you that you're essentially catching up. I mean, that's what John Lennon and Paul McCartney said, even when they listened to Freewheeling. They're just like, this guy is already, like, surpassing us. Like, what are we need to, we need to step this up. Maybe we should meet and smoke some weed with this guy. <laughs> All right, Kelly, I think it's time to get into the songs themselves. All right. So let's start where you think we would start. Beginning? Like a little Playboy in 1965, Bob Dylan said, quote, it's very tiring having other people tell you how much they dig you if you yourself don't dig you. In that vein, he wrote 20 pages of vomit, that he calls it, uh, and boiled it down to this, like Rolling Stone. Uh, In 2004, nearly 40 years after this, Bob Dylan solidified the Battlestar Galactica-ness of this song by saying, quote, it's like a ghost is writing a song like that. You don't know what it means except the ghost picked me to write the song. Columbia was not thrilled about this song. Six minutes long, that's not what a pop song does. Uh, The electric sound, they were hesitant. But once DJs got wind of it, they started spinning it. People started loving it. And the rest is history on that front. Uh, Reached number two on the Billboard charts, and it was a top ten hit around the globe. According to the review aggregator, kind of like a Rotten Tomatoes type of thing, acclaimed music, Like a Rolling Stone is statistically the most acclaimed song of all time. Like a Rolling Stone called this song the number one of their 500 best songs of all time. And the handwritten lyrics for the song fetched $2 million in 2014, a record for song lyrics or memorabilia of that kind ever. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Let's do a roll call. We got Miss Lonely. Napoleon and Rags, got a Siamese cat. What a fucking hook. You gotta give him that, man. You do. How does it feel? So good. I mean, this is the one of the only Bob Dylan songs yeah. I've ever heard prior to doing this podcast. So, I mean, I have that instant attachment to it. But an amazing song. Yeah. Just, like, it feels good to listen to it. And I it love that there's a lot of mistakes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the recording of it, I did... This album is was so fun to listen to, not because it's a good album, which it is, but like this is my favorite album we've done because it feels so cohesive. It like thematically feels right. It makes sense. There's no like, well, that song shouldn't be on here kind of right. thing. Uh, and this is the thing that sets the pace. I mean, this is this is what we're gonna do. And just sure. bang, we're starting immediately, and we're Six doing it. Six and a half minutes, and you just you're on this journey, yeah. And it never feels long, and it's it's really good. I mean, I want to preface anything we're talking about going forward with, 
I didn't look into any of the lyrics because yeah, we're good. Gonna, we're gonna have this song. It's gonna we happen are. eventually, just like all the other songs on this album. So this song to me is kind of like a whimsical existential crisis. Like mm. there's a lot of shit going on, but then also it's a beat. Like this song feels really positive, even though it's very much not. Like no. it's tearing down somebody else and yourself at the same time. There's, I I can just talk about it now. I was gonna say for the whole uh, album, but it happens from the very beginning. Like again, this this is a song that sets a tone, and that tone stays to the end, even with Desolation Row being um, just a couple guitars. This like there there's a fucking piano. There's an organ also. At some of the tracks, there's two straight up pianos. There's like electric piano, yeah. What the hell? And like there's a tambourine which shows up on a couple tracks, and just like people are really curious as to who plays the tambourine. <laughs> I mean, people fight about it. Cooper's like, no, I played it. And then like Bloomberg is like, no, nah, I wasn't doing anything that day. Nice. So the drummer would be like, no, nah, that was me. I just had it on my hi-hat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and people are trying to get, dig in. Like, no, no, that sounds like it's on a hi-hat. You can tell. Versus in a hand. Versus yeah. in a hand, yeah. I love it. I love There are so many musicians on this mm-hmm. album. And it's like a cacophony. There is so much it noise. It's live. It's live. I know. Which it's is another like, just like, treat. The people playing these instruments are so talented. And for so much chaos to come together yeah. so well is really a testament to their prowess, I think. Like, yeah, we've talked. It's all so good. We've talked a little bit about Al Cooper, but something really important to lay the foundation of right now is that Al Cooper showed up as a friend of Tom Wilson during those first recording sessions to watch. Al Cooper was like, I don't want to just watch. I want to be a part of the sessions. <laughs> so he got weaseled his way onto the floor and that that organ sound all of that in like a rolling stone how it's a little bit behind and above that drives the entire sound the entire song is driven by his riff he wasn't even supposed to be there it's so impossible to imagine what this record could have been like without al cooper because not only that but we're going to talk about him over and over again with that electric piano later on he adds so much, especially to something like Ballad of a Thin Man. It's a perfect example. Bob's on piano, but you got that electric thing going in the background. Uh, that's him. He plays on every record after this up until, I think, Planet Waves. Like he, He's the Hammond organ guy. He's the Hammond organ guy. He's there, but he's also like a friend of Bob's. It's just like, what a weird thing to have happen. And so fortuitous for your t- your music and what it all meant for you. And I think Dylan understood that because the fourth take is what we hear on the that's our like a Rolling Stone on the record. But they tried it another eleven times after. Mm. And thankfully, Rolling Stone like a Rolling Stone was one of those songs that Dylan understood what he had and he kept pushing for it. Uh, this wasn't one that was going to flitter away. No, thankfully. we're going to do it. And I want to do it right. But what if he did? Sweet pretty things on Vietnam, of course. The city fathers they're trying to endorse. The reincarnation of Paul Revere's horse. But the town has no need to be nervous. The ghost of Bell Star. Tombstone Blues. That's the one that the guy wrote the poem about. Or said that the, the guy that wrote all those poems that run, won the, the Nobel Prize. Yeah. Not the Nobel Prize. Should have. No, he just died. That's all he did. That's why he did. No, he won the Chilean. He won. He won Cervantes Prize. Many prizes. Oh, he was talking about Bob Dylan getting the Nobel Prize. Yes. So this is Nicanor Para, who who said that he deserved the Nobel Prize for the chorus alone in this song, Mm -hmm. which is insane. That's an insane statement, but it stands. I love it. Uh, (laughs) 
you also might remember this because this was in I'm Not There. Uh, Richie Havens and Marcus Carl Franklin were playing this on the porch before. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so they were playing this song. Roll call. Paul Revere's Horse, Bell Star, Jezebel, Jack the Ripper, Hysterical Bride, Medicine Man, John the Baptist, Commander-in-Chief, King of the Philistines, Gypsy Davy, Pedro, who I learned was like Jewish folklore. It's like a black slave. Mm-hmm. Uh, Galileo, Delilah, who was Samson's lover. Worthless Aunt Delilah. Yes, I'm not going to add all of them because <laughs> it will go very long. Uh, Brother Bill, who some people think is Billy Graham, who just died. Cecil B. DeMille, Ma Rainey, and Beethoven. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. This song is so fun. And it's like, it's really cool to even up the tempo from the from like Rolling Stone. Like, we're going. Yeah. Everybody's getting it. It did up Bass the tempo. You're right. It's kind of, yeah, we kept, it just goes. We're, we're moving. Yeah. And we're moving fast, which is really great. Uh, the drums are the only thing that's a little simple. Because it's over and over. It's just that's it never changes. Everyone else is going nuts. That the guitar is like me, like so getting it. One of the eighteen guitars that's on this. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, and like Rolling Stone, I was like, "Is there three guitars right now?" But no, it's because that organ, that electric piano, mm-hmm. is has a, such a cool effect that sounds just like a fucking guitar on some of these yeah. songs. It's amazing, and I love it. Um, the sun is not yellow, it's chicken. That's that, from this yeah, song. I'm not that was there. also when I'm not there. That's what I was so going to say fun. later, yeah. Um, yeah, guitar solos. Every time every time that guitar comes in, that do those little fills. Yeah. Gold. And that was enough because this is a famous non-harmonica song. And I thought, like, the lick, his lick after the Tombstone Blues, like, that's where he would play the harmonica. Yeah. But letting Bloomfield just... where the improvisation comes from like those do not feel forced they don't feel like he's just playing a note he is literally just riffing it and if it kind of sucks and it didn't really work that's oh well that's the end of it yeah. uh, and I don't think there was a whole lot of takes for this so they really just hammered it home um, yeah I think the song is about like 1965 America you know like in, a, in the inaction of, of Vietnam in, in particular King of the Philistines uh, who sends his slaves out to the jungle is there a hole for me to get sick in um, you know, it was obviously a reference to LBJ sending people out to, to Vietnam. Uh, Gypsy Davy with his, with a blowtorch while he burns down their camps. Like, it's just, it's a dark song. It's a dark comment on America and on stupid leaders who do stupid things. Yeah, this song is fantastic. Tombstone Blues. I always conflated it with Tombstone Pizza for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I was like, why don't, why doesn't Tombstone Pizza grab this? And be like, I got the Tombstone Blues. Well, you can cure it with Tombstone Pizza. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah, no. <laughs> Mama's in the factory and got no shoes. But Tombstone Pizza is here for the blues. Um, it takes a lot to laugh, Kelly, but it takes a train to cry. This song, 
uh, was originally called Phantom Engineer. It was released uh, on uh, the volume uh, Bootleg Series Volume One through Three. It's also known as Sitting on a Barbed Wire Fence. Uh, we'll talk about those ones later when we talk about this song. Uh, and that'll actually get us two songs, I think, on our list because I'm gonna. We'll definitely put those together when we get them. Um, but it's also based on a song called Solid Road by Brownie McGee and Leroy Carr, uh, the lyrics of which go, don't, don't the clouds look lonesome shining across the sea? Don't my gal look good when she's coming after me? <laughs> so nice little nod uh, to an old blues song. Roll call! No one. This is a, this is a, <laughs> this is a Bob Dylan only song, the, the only one on the entire record that doesn't have anyone except for, I mean, my gal and stuff like that. I, I'm not going to include the gal in everything unless they're sort of named. Um, but this is just a song. It's not my favorite. Oh. It uh, might be my least favorite on Podcast the, over. the album. I'm Ooh. sorry. It's just not for me. But, I mean, because like, we just went from that high, right? Oh, that I love it. up-tempo, Tombstone Blues. See, I, I, I want to know then. Oh, I can't wait for you to hear Phantom Engineer because it is literally like we're still on that high. And it takes this song. I mean, listen to uh, the, the Bootleg series, Volume uh, 5 or whatever from the Rolling Thunder. Yeah, that... Way better. Okay, so you like would have, you would have, yeah. you, and then that would have gone into Buick Six. So you would have, you would have much preferred like up tempo all the way, and then ballad brings us down. Yeah, and then kind of there. back up tempo, and then yeah. close. Okay, but I mean, it's it's. I mean, the twangling guitar is really nice. I'm into that. Oh, it's just like we just suddenly were nice. so sad. But yeah, those two pianos, and this is where it really shines. That this is the first time you can really clearly hear that it's two pianos. Because like I said that. Mm. That electric piano was kind of mimicking a guitar. It was a little muddy. It was hard to hear it. Right. Except for, like, I mean, on a roll, you can, when he's got the organ really mm-hmm. going, like, you can hear it. But sometimes it makes this, is that a guitar sound? Yeah. Um, but here you can really, like, these are two pianos. Two different people are really going after it. And I don't know a lot about pianos, um, but I'm going to assume a little bit here, just based on the acoustics, that this is one of those standing type pianos versus like a grand piano where it's got that big body, you know, to like classic what we think of as a piano versus the standing pianos, which take up a lot less space. Think of like a, it a is dresser. A standing piano. There's yeah. photos of him. Okay. At the piano, yeah. And I, I knew it was that just because the way those keys, the sound that they're like, ta dong like it yeah. has this tinny, like higher register mm-hmm. to it, and it just sounds really, really good. So while this is not my favorite song, I really uh, the musicianship is undeniable. So, uh, no matter what, yeah. even if I don't, if even if I was like, I hate this song, yeah, which yeah. I don't, there's you you can't deny I, I how love, good they are. I love the way it goes from that into that lick. I mean, just that acoustic, th- just starting that song and just being. I like it going to a slower pace after the two manic episodes that we just had. To me, this song is an achievement of Bob Dylan's. Uh, this is his best vocal performance maybe ever. This is might be one of his slowest songs. This is probably the least lyrically dense song that he maybe has ever put out at this point. And because of that, when you get Bob doing those long takes of him s- singing, it just sounds beautiful, uh, all accompanied together. And I think the restraint is the thing that I love the most. I love the honky-tonk piano. I love... The multiple pianos, I love the restraint. I love that Mike Bloomfield is like, hey, I went crazy for two songs, right? Let me bring this down. Let me show you that I can, that I can do this. I can do something completely different, and I don't have to solo and go crazy all the time. That's why I like the Rolling Thunder version better, because that guitar is going nuts. Yeah. And I noted, I didn't make a, a comment about his voice in this the Highway 61 version, but I did make a comment about the uh, the Rolling Thunder one that I did not like it as much. His mm. voice sounded older and different and not as vibrant. So I must clearly pick up on something that I enjoyed about 
Io 61. Yeah, that's Also, fair. I think Scarlet might have snuck into that song on the uh, oh. Rolling Thunder one because there's a point where I was like, that's a fucking violin. <laughs> like, I know they've been doing some crazy stuff with making instruments sound like other ones. Right. But I'm pretty sure for a second there's like a little Western nice like. Yeah. I don't know though. But it could also be Mon Scarlet Watch Al all Cooper <laughs> showing up. Maybe you need to start Al Cooper Watch showing up with some weird ass piano. Yeah, it could sounds be. like a violin. I mean, it could be Does really. That... <laughs> all right, from a Buick Six. Robert Shelton heard this song, he's a Bob Dylan biographer, uh, as, quote, an earthly tribute to another funky earth mother. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) While Clinton Highland sees filler. Uh, Clinton Highland, uh, who I, not into it. He's not into it. And it's hard to refute. Uh, This song is clearly a filler song. Um, It's not, it doesn't have the same resonance power as any of them. By far the least powerful song on this record but i love it i don't hate it i don't hate it either yeah um it was uh, i think we also put milk cow blues by sleepy john estes on our playlist uh you can hear the similarities between the two of those uh, apparently this is uh, based on a buick master sixes from the 1920s so that's what a Buick 6 is it was recorded under the title of the lunatic princess number three <laughs> take two what does that mean? I sure. Released as a B-side with Positively 4th Street. I'll start out with the harmonica. Okay, ready? And in 2006, Steve Jobs, Apple Steve Jobs, said that this was his favorite song of all time. Holy shit. What is wrong with this boy? <laughs> Roll call. Graveyard Woman, Bo Diddley. That's it. That's all I got. He changed Need Bo Diddley no to crush. Bo Diddley. He made it three syllables. So it sounds so oh, good when he says it. That's amazing. Yeah, I like this song. Um, I love the song. That's I wrote great. Junkyard Bread Much. Yes. <laughs> so, and I like the jingly guitar. I don't have a, yeah, I don't have a ton to say Yeah, there's not a whole one. lot. For me, th- my favorite part about this is is the line, I need a dump truck baby to unload my head. Like, I love that concept. Just, I have so much going on and I'm showing it to you. Like, did you not hear two songs ago? Me just like rattling off a thousand characters. Like, I need a place to let myself go and express myself and i think that's that's universal it's a universal sentiment i love that but yeah this is just like recklessly crazy delta blues electrified you know this is exactly up the wheelhouse of the paul butterfield blues band this is chicago blues this is perfect perfect sneaky harmonica which we'll get to in a little bit but was not i kind of forgot i thought that the harmonica was not a part of the song and then when he started blowing it i'm like okay multiple times in fact it gave me my generation feels and i think maybe just because ah. we're but that sounds like kind of jangled the yeah. little bit. So. But it is, unfortunately, a very forgettable song, and it's a song that no one uh, that's not a Bob Dylan fan, I think, even knows about. I mean, so. Steve Jobs. Hey, <laughs> boy's out of his mind. All right, moving on to the middle of the record. So I think this starts over on side two of the, of the LP. You walk into the room. 
With your pencil in your hand You see somebody naked in you You say, who is that man? You try so hard, but you don't understand Just what you will say when you get home Because something is happening here But you don't know what it is Do you, Mr. Jones? Ballad of a Thin Man We heard this and I'm not there um, this was when uh, he was, uh, uh, or Jude, Kate Blanchett, she was being uh, accosted by the reporter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. doing that. Yeah, yeah, the dude with the face that's in all the things. All the things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mark Markeski, who wrote Wicked Messenger, Bob Dylan in the 1960s, said that this is, quote, one of the purest songs of protest ever sung. Roll call! <laughs> Mr. Jones, one of Dylan's most emblematic characters by far. Mr. Jones and me. Fantastic. There's no accident on that one. (laughs) Exactly. The Geek, Lumberjacks, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Sword Swallowers, and One Eyed Midget. This is might be my favorite one on the album. Liked it a lot. Yeah. Kinda kinda thought you would. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, ominous piano is uh, ominous. Yeah, and this is Bob Dylan's first piano since Black Crow Blues in 1964 on another side of Bob Dylan. And that's kind of a that's an up tempo beat, uh, a little ditty. But this one is dark. I love it. You can really like, I feel like I you can hear his fingers on the keys like, dang, 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 like he's going in. Yeah. It's really great. I mean, it has drama in like the best way you could say that word. Uh, the organ even too is like this cool fluttery thing. Reminded me of Super Mario. Just like, mm-hmm. just going off in the background. Al Cooper called it spooky organ riffs. Yeah, I, definitely appropriate. I, I just thought it was like this strung out slow motion repossession soundtrack just like it, it's just swirling around you you can can't help but feel these montages of things being taken away and things are slipping out of control and you yeah. just uh it just uh, it feels good <laughs> it's just very evocative i wrote wooly wooly power up so apparently it's a, yeah towards the end of the song there's a point where the organ just like whoop, oh, like yeah. out of nowhere it makes this cool Power up noise. Mm. Can't wait till we actually get the song. Yeah, this song this song is rich. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. Al Cooper said that musically this was more sophisticated than anything else on Highway 61 revisited the album. Bobby Gregg, the drummer, said, quote, this is a nasty song, Bob. <laughs> and Andy Gill, who is a music critic for The Independent uh, in the UK, uh, called the song, quote, one of Dylan's most unrelenting inquisitions, a furious, sneering dressing down of a hapless bourgeois intruder into the hipster world of freaks and weirdos, which Dylan now inhabited. Can't wait to uh, can't wait to get into it. Yeah, I love I love even the line. My favorite line on the whole thing and probably one of the more famous lines of, of Dylan's is um, and anyway, they already expect you to give a check to tax deductible charity organizations. It's, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's amazing. Right. Yeah. Man, I love I love great lyricists that can just just warp. You're in a you're in a, a lyrical framework and he just crushes it with a great line like mm-hmm. that just destroys the song. Kelly, I hate to interrupt our amazing podcast that we're doing right now, but we need to talk about the nominees for the Harmonica Awards. Oh, my God. I forgot that was tonight. Oh, my God. Wow. I know. What a glamorous night. Yeah. Everyone's dressing that's up as harmonicas. That's why carpet. Okay. I know. And that's why I'm wearing a bow tie. You're wearing a bow tie. Well. You're literally wearing a bow tie. <laughs> 
So we're going to talk about our, our nominees. So, so far we've only, we've covered five songs. So uh, we're going to go through our nominees, uh, where they stand. And at the end of the show, we're going to, we're going to pick our winners for the best harmonica in, in town in this great, amazing harmonica rich album. So let's work our way backwards uh, from number five and we'll work our way up to uh, number one and then we'll revise at the end of the show. Kelly, what you got? Number five. Well, so far that we've listened to, there's only been four songs with harmonica, so it's going to be hard to uh, to do that. Well, three songs, sorry. So from a Buick Six, squeaky and squealy, a bit abrasive. I'm going to put that low. Number five. It's a number three because there's only been three that have had it. I do really enjoy the It Takes a Lot to Laugh, Takes a Train to Cry, Western, Low and Slow. Oh, nice. Uh, and Rolling Stone was barely there. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to – I did put from a Buick number number three, but maybe I'm going to have to revise this on the fly. Man. I am not committed. I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Okay. We've got the, we've got a whole night ahead of us. There's a lot of starlets here. For the award, for I'm just now realizing that there's less harmonica on this album than I envisioned with these harmonica awards, goes to Ballad of a Thin Man. He's going to be in the nomination for the final prize at the end of the show. Even though there's no harmonica. Congratulations. Ballad of a Thin Man. Yay. And for the award for Harmonica couldn't have been as good as that guitar lick award, Tombstone Blues. Yay. Yay. (laughs) The Bob Dylan realized that he hadn't taken off his harp holder award goes to From a Buick Six. Yay. (laughs) The most classic and integral to a song award goes to Like a Rolling Stone. Wow. Really? And the most heartbreaking and spiritual award goes to It Takes a Lot to Laugh. It Takes a Train to Fucking Cry. Yay. <laughs> Again, these are just the, the nominations. that they're, I mean, they are receiving these awards, but in the end, you're nominated like you won. And then at the end, you go and then you try to win more. I see. That's how my awards work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't wait to follow up with our award nominees slash winners slash what? I can't wait to hear the rest of them. (laughs) (laughs) Queen Jane, approximately. Now when all of the bandits that you turn your other cheek to Andy Gill called this song, quote, the least interesting track on Highway 61. All the goodwill I had instantly zapped away. Uh, but he does it weirdly enough, and I don't – he praises the piano ascending the scale uh, during the harmonica break as an evocation of, quote, the stifling nature of an upper-class existence. Okay. This was released as a B-side on Dylan's One of Us Must Know Sooner or Later single in early 66 that is on Blonde on Blonde. Great song. Roll call. Queen Jane, of course, when Bob Dylan was asked, uh, who is Queen Jane? He replied, Queen Jane is a man. Flower ladies, commissioned clowns, second commissioning of clowns, like a Rolling Stone also had clowns that were commissioned, uh, sort of. Uh, Plastic throwing advisors and bandanaed bandits. There's merit here. Uh, But there's, it's been on the other tracks too, but this one was like the first time I really uh, picked up on it, is that um, I think it's just like a Telecaster through a Fender amp. 
that really simple 50s style Buddy Holly almost guitar oh, yeah, that okay. just like, wow, it's a really clean sound. It's still amplified, but it's not really distorted as mm-hmm. the way we think of distorted, but it's a really clean, classic. Well, I mean, it starts with that. Yeah, and you, I think that's probably why you can hear it, why I picked up on this one so well. I just well. think it's such a piano song. Like, that whole melody that I just did, that like, that has nothing to do with the guitar. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why it was so weird that I clocked it on this one. I don't know why I could hear it so well, because the piano is standout. This is really a background thing, is that guitar. Yeah. But I don't know, it just, like, really struck me. Well, people, just to butt in really quick, that is the that is the biggest gripe. Uh, for people about this song is that Dylan and Bloomfield are playing guitar mm. and they're out of tune. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so people are not happy about that. Uh, and then for me, as a former punk rock bassist, doesn't know how to tune a fucking guitar for his life. Um, Harry Brook, the bassist on this record, uh, is my spirit animal who said, quote, tuning or mistakes were not important in the overall performance. Amen, brother. That is what I wrote. Yeah. I but, was like, it's. But if you're if you're in, if you're listening for that and that's weird to you that it's out of tune then yeah you're gonna pick it up immediately for me that's the charm baby that's the charm yeah i mean that is probably why i heard mm-hmm. it immediately now that i think about it i i said that it it shines because and there's nowhere for it to hide and it's because it's out of tune that you it's right there for it's me it's clean and it's slower yeah, yeah there's a lot of things i even put it's almost out of tune it's really close <laughs> to the edge it actually is and that's why you could hear it and normally you wouldn't because the cacophony i mean like every track on here there's so much going on so for that thing that's so uh-huh. inconsequential to this song, really, to right. stand out, I guess, yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> they're, just like, they're not quite in tune. Uh-huh. But it, and then when the harmonica comes in, it's even more apparent because it's like, oh, there's three different sounds that aren't supposed to be happening at the same time happening. But yeah, it didn't hate that. Yeah. But that's so funny, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. And then we listen to Grateful Dead again, too. And I like that. I like that again. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I know it's I the the vitriol that we had are like a Rolling Stone moment uh, has become a Queen Jane approximately moment because we were so mad at the Grateful Dead back in June of last year well, or whatever. You were. I we, I think we well, both you agreed. Had contacts and I didn't. Right, but these songs also sucked. I'm gonna, <laughs> I mean, you probably were not kind to this song. Yeah. I don't think there was any song that you were kind to. None of them were made. Right, but you're right. There was no context. Um but it's funny that I would say it like that because a lot of people compare like a Rolling Stone with this because it's the same kind of vehemence towards a woman, vehemence towards another person. But there's like this level of compassion like that sort of undergirds it, whereas like like Rolling Stone has no compassion. So it's kind of the nicer version, if you will, of like a Rolling Stone, but kind of treading the same water. And I think that's another reason why this is not a a track that people immediately go to probably also because of the technical mm-hmm. faults. But for me, that, that that's punk as shit. Good job guys. <laughs> you should make it more glaringly obvious next time. Don't worry, kid. You'll get him next time. <laughs> I don't know. I really, I really love this song and I love the harmonica. And I, yeah, I think it's just a matter of taste. That's all it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super in and I buy in all the way. Oh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God say no, Abe say what? God say you can do what you want, Abe, but the next time you see me coming, you better run. Well, Abe said, well, you want this killing done? God said on down Highway 61. Highway 61, we visited the song, not the album, because we're talking about the album. Hey, 
Welcome to the album review. <laughs> uh, this song was released as a B-side to Can I Please Crawl Out Your Window, which finally did get done. Released it as a single, not a part of any record. Um, this is also on, on the top songs of all time from Rolling Stone at number 373. Um, roll Call. God, Abraham, Georgia Sam, who is Blind Willie McTell. Poor Howard, a reference to Lead Belly's 1940 song, Poor Howard. Mac the Finger, Louis the King. Shakespeare, fifth daughter, first father, second mother, seventh son, and the roving gambler. The tambourine is back, everyone. <laughs> That's what you lead with, the tambourine <laughs> over the police whistle. I mean, that whistle. Woo. Whistle time is the first thing I wrote, but I was excited for the tambourine. That's back. great. You're a simple person. I really like that. Tambourine day. That's right. That same, like, Telecaster, whatever guitar setting they have going on there, is it's... That surf rock sound yeah. is so nice in this song. Uh, the whammy bar is in full effect and done really well. Oh, yeah. This was another one of those songs where the whatever they did to that organ, I thought it was the third fucking guitar for a second. Yeah. Like, it's so cool. It is so cool. I didn't know you could do that with a piano. I mean. Al Cooper did. I know you could do that with a piano now. You can sit the size whatever the fuck yeah, you yeah, want yeah. to. But, like, what the heck? Yeah, but this is, like, an actual flesh and blood piano that... You're, yeah, tuning it in a certain way to make it sound in a room full of other instruments going. That's yeah. an achievement. I mean, that's crazy. I didn't even catch it till the very end. I thought for sure through the whole song. I was like, that's going to guitars on here. And then, oh, that's a goddamn piano. That's it. Yeah, I liked it. I yeah. No, the police whistle uh, is that's inspired. That's an inspired <laughs> choice. Um, there, the ver- One of the versions released for No Direction Home um, which we watched, our very first supplemental series. They released a bootleg series around that when it came out in 2004, I want to say. Um, and, it, and it featured a lot of these songs we're talking about from this era. They've all been released on Cutting Edge now, volume 12 of the bootleg series. So you can listen to all of these cuts that he did for this song. But back then, it was really interesting to hear this song without the whistle and with the harmonica. So I can't wait to do this song because I absolutely love this song. There's a little bit of controversy. Who did this? Al Cooper, of course. Involved, some way, always involved, <laughs> always around. So Al Cooper uh, claims that he brought it as a joke. Whenever somebody started pulling out pot to smoke, he would do the siren. <laughs> um, uh, Sam Lay, who I think was one of the producers, um, had it. Uh, some people say that he had it as a prop on his keychain, just as another joke, you know, that you kind of have. Uh, whatever the case may be, Bob saw it. And I think that energy of like, this is really fun. Let's go out there and play this, and I'm just going to do this. That's why this song is one of the greatest Bob Dylan songs, not only for its content and what it says about America and Highway 61 itself as a blues trail and as a cultural history that's all wrapped up in five distinct, beautiful, perfect verses, but just you can hear the fun that they're fucking having. Like there's a new life on that song that that police whistle gave them. They didn't overdo it. They didn't bring it on the entire fucking record or something like that. It's only like twice. And Bob Dylan credits himself in the liner notes as police car. (laughs) So you can tell they love this. They love this all the way through and they had fun all the way up to the making of the record. And that, that is just charming if nothing else. That makes you, I think, like the song in my, in my opinion, even more. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
No, that's right. That's that's not too fast at all. Yeah, that's good. Go ahead. The lyrics for me, this song just changes all the time in my head. Um, reading a lot about America and this spot in particular, I see this as like America on a small scale because you, you not just America, but like world history. I mean, you start with God and Abraham and then you go to a story with Lead Belly and Blind Willie McTell as their stand-ins if you want to accept that story because there's a thousand different interpretations of this. But even if we do that, we're talking about uh, religious history. We're talking about black history, the French in Mississippi, you know, Louis the King talking about all the stuff, all the crass consumerism that we have. Just toss it off onto Highway 61. Toss it off onto those people. Then we talk about the racial politics, the incest. I mean, it's like a Game of Thrones episode. The first, second mother was with the seventh son and they were both out on Highway 61. Do the numbers mean anything? No, I don't think they do. But do they? I mean, do they? <laughs> but I think it also speaks to like racial politics. Like people went out there and had sex. Uh, and then, of course, at the end, the, the impending end, of course, would happen on Highway 61. The whole rest of world history has taken place on this highway. Why wouldn't the end of the world? And why wouldn't we erect bleachers to watch it all come to a bitter end. Love it. Love every single thing about it. Cannot wait to talk about this. But also an interesting tidbit, Abraham is the name of Bob Dylan's dad. So that even makes the beginning kind of crazy. God said to Abraham, kill me a son. And it's, I mean, you could even say, you know, kill me a son, kill Robert Zimmerman. And Bob Dylan comes alive. Who knows? Whatever. Read into that what you will. Just like the Tom Thumb blues. Two away, Kelly. St. Annie, Sweet Melinda, also known as the Goddess of Gloom, Cops, Authorities, the Blackmailed Sergeant-in-Arms, and Angel coming in from the coast. This song has a little bit of an effect on that guitar. We saw that classic clean sound, but we've added some tremolo. So it's like a dreamy little strum sound, which is really nice. Yeah. And the piano is so tinkly. It's just a tinkly little guitar. And the the way that whomever's playing it. Not Bob, but probably Cooper or whoever. It has these really staccatoed. Uh, notes, so it doesn't let any of them really ever land, so we're just jumping. We're jumping chords instead of like letting them get the full sound of it. There's You don't ever let a full note happen, which is really interesting. Yeah, that's true. It does dance around a lot, (laughs) which I think plays into uh, I think it's a strong nominee in the Harmonica Awards. Oh, yeah. For that very reason. Yeah, this is a lonesome harmonica song. This is a lonesome harmonica song. And it's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. <laughs> well, I guess the Harmonica Awards are an impartial body that is judging the Harmonica Awards, of course. So they're behind so, the scenes. Yeah, so I can say yeah. my what I feel. What yeah. I feel is that this is one of the strongest Harmonica solos. Uh, one of his best, I would say. I mean, I don't know if the Academy will agree, but 
when it hurts your ears, you know, you're doing it right, you know, when it's really piercing those notes, but also it's followed with perhaps one of my favorite couplets in the entire Bob Dylan oeuvre. I started out on burgundy, but soon hit the hardest stuff. Everybody said they'd stand behind me when the game got rough. Yeah, even just for me, just the line, I started out on Burgundy and soon went to the hardest stuff. I was like, wrote that down line. immediately. What a line. Yeah. What a beautiful, evocative sentence. Mm-hmm. Again, getting down to like, you start a novel with that? Whew, I want to read that. I want to read that novel. There's tons of literary references in here. I can't wait to j- dive into it. Kerouac, uh, Canary Row by John, John Steinbeck. Lots of stuff going on. Um, but thankfully, we have Bob who can clear up for us exactly what this song is about. So in 1966, oh, no. <laughs> he went to South Wales, New South Wales in Australia and said, quote, this is, this is called Tom Thumb. This story takes place outside of Mexico City. It begins in Mexico City and it ends really in Des Moines, Iowa. What? <laughs> <laughs> but it's all about this painter. He's quite an older fellow. He comes from Juarez. Juarez is down across the Texas border, some few feet, and he's a painter. He's very, very well-known painter in the area there, and we call him Tom Thumb. And when Tom Thumb was going through his blue period, this is one of the most important times of his whole life, and he's going to sell many, many paintings now taken from his blue period. And this is all about Tom Thumb in his early days, and so we name it just like the Tom Thumb Blues. (laughs) What are you talking about? Are you high? Yes. So amazing. Anyways, that yeah. clears it up, basically. Tom oh, Thumb, yeah. a painter from Moorhead's living in um, Des Moines, Iowa, where the story goes and ends, apparently. Well, when you said uh, Australia, I was like, this is some didgeridoo harmonica. Ooh. You know what? Man. It really gets there a couple times. It gets a woo. Yeah. How do you even do that with a harmonica? I, how yeah, do you do anything with <laughs> a harmonica? My God. We end the record with the classic Desolation Row. They're selling postcards of the hanging They're painting the passports brown The beauty parlor is filled with sailors The circus is in town Here comes the blind commissioner They've got him in a trance One hand Tied to the tightrope walker The other is in his pants And the riot squad They're restless They need somewhere to go As Lady and I Look out tonight From Desolation Road This is a crazy song. It's a wild-ass fucking song. And this is a song that I think even for me, starting this whole playlist and starting our spreadsheets and stuff, it's one of those daunting ones where you're like, oh, man, this is, 
strap in. This is going to be a tough one to do. So I like that we're getting this one out of the way because this, I think, more than anything else, there's long songs that do exist, story songs. We've had some big ones. Black Diamond Bay is long, all kinds of stuff. But, man, there might not be another Bob Dylan song out there that really packs as much into this song. And there's a lot of speculation about this song. This song was attempted during the sessions with Al Cooper on electric guitar and Harvey Brooks on bass where he was. The drummer was not there because he went home. He had to, he just had to go home. So they're like, <laughs> fuck it, we're just going to do it without. Uh, and, and that version is on uh, the Bootleg Series Volume 7. It's very interesting. But electric it's guitar. The electric guitar version with no okay, drums. Strange, but it's there. I thought it was Mike Bloomfield on the guitar, but it's not. It's actually Charlie McCoy. He was visiting New York, and he's the one playing that acoustic guitar. That, like, Spanish lead guitar? With, without him, this song is The Pits. He is the best part about this song. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dylan's playing the um, the, the, the rhythm, the, guitar, rhythm like the, the chords. Yeah. He's noodling off into the ether. Uh, this, is, this is ranked 187th of all time by Rolling Stone. Uh, apparently, this was recorded in seven takes. Six and seven were spliced together to make the album version. So they mm-hmm. couldn't even get a full. Um, I is, wonder fucking why. It's 11 minutes yeah, long. That's fair. That's fair. But he has played it 500 times, so he clearly has an <laughs> affinity for it. Um, in 33rd and a third, which I don't know if you're familiar with that book series, but they take a look at famous records and basically just have an author uh, come into it and just dive into the into the record itself. Oh, that's the, what albums the, were, 33 and a third. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so the name of the book series. So Mark Polizzotti uh, notes the similarities of the 1920 Duluth lynchings. Uh, of black circus workers uh, and calls the song Desolation Row, quote, the home on the range of the frightening territory that was mid-60s America. Sean Wylands, who we've talked about before, um, he wrote in his book Bob Dylan in America, quote, in all of its strangeness, the song mocks orthodoxies and confining loyalties of every kind, loyalties to religion, sex, science, romance, politics, medicine, money, which the singer has rejected. The least mysterious verse, although it is mysterious enough, comes next to last. Crammed aboard the damned Titanic. The people are oblivious to what is happening. Instead, they shout an old, reliable, left-wing, folky tune, which was made popular by the Weavers. Which side are you on? T.S. Eliot and Ezra Pound, respectively, uh, respectively the author and the editor of The Wasteland, struggle for command of the ship. But it is all a laugh to the Calypso singers. And down beneath the dreamlike sea where the lovely mermaids flow and where simple, in parentheses, simple fishermen hold simple flowers, Thoughts of Desolation Row are unnecessary. Neither straight-minded politics nor modernist high art will save the ship from crashing and going down. Roll call. Strap in. <laughs> Sailors, the Blind Commissioner, Tightrope Walker, Riot Squad, Lady, Cinderella, Betty Davis, Romeo, the fortune-telling lady, Cain and Abel, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Good Samaritan, Ophelia, Noah, Einstein disguised as Robin Hood, Dr. Filth, uh, his nurse, who is a local loser, the Phantom of the Opera in a Perfect Image of a Priest. Casanova, the superhuman crew rounding up everyone that knows more than you do. Possibly Nazis. Nero, Ezra Pound, T.S. Eliot, Calypso Singers, Laughing Fishermen Holding Flowers, and fucking Mermaids. <laughs> this is my most and least favorite song on this album. This song is exactly five minutes too long. Oh. And it made me tune out. I only know like the first verse of the song because I couldn't listen anymore after a point. But that fucking lead guitar, that Spanish, like, perfect, whatever Charlie McCoy is romantic, on. amazing guitar. I mean, you can't deny that. No. It's beautiful and brilliant. It is. Um, 
and I think Bob's voice really shines in this song because there's no distractions. There's no drums. There's It's just a couple of guitars and a bass. Oh, yeah. Just so cool. Oh, it's a great melody. It's a great everything. And, and again, it's one of those perfect lyrical songs that doesn't feel like he's ever forcing anything in. It, none of these, this jumble of words never, to me, it never feels, it might feel exhausting if you're not like in the right frame of mind or whatever, or you're like listening to the whole record and you're doing a podcast about it. <laughs> but like it, none of it, none of it, thinking back on it, like nothing ever feels out of place. It doesn't feel like any of these images weren't earned. It doesn't and they're feel all like cool. They're like there. I yeah. mean, when I would check back in, it's like, it's a really neat poem. And like even the couple things I wrote down later down like her twenty second birthday, she's already an old maid. Yeah. Um, and the cyanide. Does he say cyanide hole? Cyanide hole or hold like a a, a secret cavern of cyanide. In a cyanide hole. Either way. Hole, yeah. Either one. <laughs> that loser nurse. She controls it, and that's Crazy. all we really need to know. It's great. So I mean, I like all of the verses. They're all cool, but I just like. Especially when his, even in that verse when all his sexless patients yeah, are trying to blow it up. Yeah. Like, what is that? What's that little <laughs> jingly? Like, I, I don't know. He just, I think he understands that too on some level. And so even with his vocal deliveries, he'll do that thing that he does. It, mm-hmm. it truly is with him, not just like this beautiful traditional voice, but it really, his inflection and tone is so much more important as an artist than I think for a lot of other like traditional singers because he can't do those things. So he has to create something incredibly indelible and unique. And I think Desolation Row is a perfect example of that. Well, and that's my biggest criticism of this song. It's just that him, I guess, because you said Bob is playing that, the rhythm get part. Mm-hmm. It's it's like the same chords just it over is. and over. Like even the bass gets to noodle around. And, and he, ha- he is singing all of yeah, this. So th- yeah. So I mean, that, in his defense, it is hard to do. This version is the best version because it has everything right going for it. The rest of it, when it's just Bob, it, this is a, an impossible song to do. Yeah. By, by himself? himself? Oh, yeah. The moments for me are so personal. It's like when he says, um, you know, Casanova is just being punished for going to just Desolation Row, that line. Um, that's where the guitar does a little thing. Like, there's Casanova, and the guitar goes, Casanova, da, da, and it plays on that Nova part. Uh, is just being punished and then you know for going to Desolation Row and then the tonal shift when we get to the men who are um, this superhuman crew that's taking rounding up everybody for no, for knowing more than they do uh, and then when he goes and then they take them to the factory where the heart attack machine is strapped across their shoulders and then the it starts doing that that what what's being played during the harmonica solo introducing that element two or three verses before it shows up during the harmonica solo was incredible was so great the harmonica solo is one of the grandest moments of all of bob dylan ever that last verse the twist ending it was all a letter it's just a letter I received your letter yesterday about the time that the doorknob broke. Um, what is it? Uh, when you asked me how I was doing or was that some kind of joke, all these people that you mentioned, yes, I know them, they're quite lame. I had to rearrange their faces and give them all another name. This is a tour de force because this is like our own lives. If we were sitting here talking about our own lives and the day today that we go through, on a very mundane level, this is a song about creating allegory and symbolism off of the people that you're always around. This is Bob Dylan looking out a window. This is the most vignette sitting on a park bench 
accounting for people that I, I don't think that there's another song quite like it. This is vignette after vignette after vignette. So I don't want to give too much away because we have, I mean, this song is going to be long. It's going to be a long song because it's so good. Um, so I won't, I won't keep prattling on about it. But I can't wait to hear your version of events and how this all uh, sort of sticks together. Um, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the harmonica thing because this song, also Queen Jane, which I didn't bring up, there's a couple tracks, there might be another one, where the harmonica creates its own melody. Uh, mm-hmm. And I didn't realize the guitar had done it previously in the song. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, interesting. It does. But I thought that was so cool yeah. uh, that the harmonica, at least on Queen Jane, um, just starts a new. Mm-hmm. We're doing a new thing, doing a, a new lead with the fucking harmonica. With the fucking because a harmonica. lot of the times, I feel like Bob will do the harmonica, but he's basically mimicking the melody that his voice was doing. Like mm-hmm. he's playing the lead that his voice, he, it was just replacing the lyrics with the harmonica. Which is impressive enough. Yeah, for sure. But like to do a whole new, we're doing a whole new melody. I know. Very cool. Very cool. You know what else is cool, Kelly? The Harmonica Award Yay! Final Ceremony. <sighs> All right, let's give out our last batch of awards. Or well, nominees. Case, all of them. All of my nominee awards. Well, let's do this. I'm going to give my nominee awards, and then we're going to go uh, top to bottom. We're going to go bottom to top, I mean. Uh, so you can give out your awards when you go from worst to best. For me, I, there's nowhere to start. These four songs are some of the best harmonica work, period. End of story. So I'm just going to start uh, in order that we went. Uh, so the So Good It Hurts, no, literally, it was a bit too loud and my ears are bleeding and I love it award goes to Queen Jane approximately. Congratulations, Queen Jane. Yay! The Police Have Arrested Your Harmonica for Marijuana Award goes to Highway 61 Revisited. Yay! <laughs> the Magisterial Just Simply Perfect, the number one harmonica solo, no, really, it's going to be number one award goes to Just Like the Tom Thumb Blues Plus that final verse, you just can't do better. Yay. And the how, just how does a guitar and harmonica cause physical sensations as it transport you out of this world and into one of dreams and wonder and terror, violence, hope, compassion, morbidity, crass materialism, utter indifference, and absolute beauty award goes to Desolation Row. Yay. Yay. (laughs) All right, Kelly. Wow. It's time <laughs> for the winners. What are let's go from 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 worst to best harmonica. <laughs> We're just <laughs> well, no, I mean uh, easy for you. Battle of a Thin Man, Highway sixty one revisited are no goes. They don't have harmonica, right? So That's they're cut. True. They're cut. They're cut. Get out of here. But Highway sixty one does get whistles on harmonica award. There you go. <laughs> That's a great award. <laughs> So. Man, I wish we could all win awards all the time. <laughs> Phone is not a pickle award. Cool. <laughs> Rolling Stone, inconsequential award. Ooh. For me, it was more of like, I can't imagine this song not having a harmonica. That mm. That's that's what I mean by like the framework of that song. He couldn't have released a hit single like that that also wasn't like, hey, bros, I also have harmonica. If, don't forget <laughs> if you didn't know, like this is going to be a theme. I don't know why I'm being attacked award. From a view at six. Oh. Squealy, squeechy, abrasive. Yeah, it is. I didn't know if I was enjoying it. Yes. Queen Jane. Huh? The harmonica is a real instrument award because there you did go. some beautiful things with that. That's true. That's true. That's that melody. Certain a new melody. Whole new thing. Beautiful. Tumbleweed award. It takes a lot to laugh. Oh. It takes a train to cry. The ability to summon tumbleweeds with just a harmonica. Ooh. I like that. Tumbleweed award. Nice. Tom Thumb Blues. Didgeridoo award. Didgeridoo. Because how do you make that thing do that? That... I know. What? Amazing. How do you? 
And best for last. Yeah. Desolation Row. I didn't think we were going to do it, and then we did it. Award. (laughs) (laughs) It's been so long. Maybe he'll forget award. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's eight minutes and 50 seconds in. Uh, It's true. It's, I know, and it's fucking brilliant. I mean, we had multiple winners for reasons. I mean, I think we're all the winners, really. We are. We all so my final rankings, just if you're curious. Zero Effort, Band for Life, number nine and number eight. Both of them, Tombstone Blues, Ballad of a Thin Man. Get the fuck out of here. You're done. You're done. <laughs> Honorable Attempt Award goes to Highway 61 Revisited. But like you said, our harmonica is not a whistle or a whistle is not a harmonica. Or it is a harmonica, which now it's not. Was that the award? The title? award is... A whistle is not a harmonica. A whistle is not a harmonica. Cool. I thought you allowed a whistle to be a harmonica, <laughs> no, no, no. and then I had to rethink my entire rankings. <laughs> uh, next up, worst one from a Buick Six. Not great. Forgot he had it. Like a Rolling Stone, again, integral to the song. Does what a lot of traditional Bob Dylan songs do, which is after the verse, he'll play a couple of notes, and then he'll move on. Number four is It Takes a Lot to Laugh, A Train to Cry. Next, Queen Jane Approximately. Holy crap. What an amazing one. Number two, who I want to remind you did win the This Will Be Number One, I Swear It's Number One award, just like the Tom Thumb Blues, because Desolation Row is one of the greatest moments in rock history and in Bob Dylan history. And if you don't know, now you know. All right, Kelly, final thoughts about about this. Are you excited to get these songs in their one-at-a-timeness? I really am. Yeah. We obviously have more albums to go, but as Lots. I mentioned, this was my favorite so far. Yeah. Uh, just thematically, we kept it going. Just all the crazy amount of musicians, except for Desolation Row, where there's just the three yeah. of them. But even that was incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's really what we've demonstrated here is that like the vibe is all the same. Uh, any kind of... like unique record and perfect record quote unquote needs that it needs that like it needs to have the desolation row moments and the it takes a lot a lot to laugh at a train to cry moments it needs to have the manicness of uh tombstone blues moments mm-hmm. it needs to have all of those um and for me personally yeah if i were if i were on a desert island this would be my pick hands down i could listen to this album for the rest of my life i really thought i would listen to this like once or twice this week and i listen to it every day multiple times a day and I just forgot how much I fucking love this album. And it never gets old. Not a single second. Even Desolation Row for the 40th time. Nope. And that's the mark of a great record. Yeah. Listen to it forever. So, all right, Kelly. We were also people in the world. I don't remember that. I know, right? It feels crazy. Uh, I, for me, this record took up so much of my entire existence. Uh, was there anything else happening in your life this week? Ooh, uh, I watched Seeing All Red, the documentary on Netflix about Gloria Allred. And it's fucking great. So. I don't know who that is. Really? Gloria Allred? She is uh, a famous attorney who represents uh, 
mostly women and people who get disenfranchised. She takes up their causes and has a really bad rep because of the patriarchy as being like a shrill harpy who just wants money and attention. Uh, when in fact she's done a lot for civil rights, for gay folks, for black folks, for yeah. women. Um, and she's just a badass feminist attorney who doesn't take shit from anybody. All and okay. she's been doing it for a really long time. Sweet. Glory All Red. And what's the name of the documentary? Sing All Red. Like Sing Red, but Sing All Red. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, she represented uh, Nicole Brown Simpson's family in the civil suit. Mm. She represented uh, wow, okay. in the, what's Scott, what's his name? That killed? Scott Walker, I think? Nope, that's the governor. Yeah, no, that He's supposedly or allegedly killed his wife Oh, that was pregnant or whatever. What is her name, Scott? You know. Yeah, I do. You know. Like 2004. I know. You know. You know. Anyway, she represented the woman Scott that- Scott who murdered his wife. Scott Hooper and his wife. They just did an A&E documentary series that I watched. Scott Peterson. Of. Scott Peterson. She represented uh, the woman Scott Peterson was having an affair with during their trial. So she, and uh, most recently she represented a lot of the, uh, Bill Cosby's victims in oh, the yes, suit against okay. him. So, oh, wow. She just really makes a point to find women that are having a hard time uh, or gay people that, like, she uh, did this thing every Valentine's Day for the last, 10 years before gay marriage was legal mm-hmm. nationally, uh, where she would go to a county courthouse and try to get her friends married who were both women and they wouldn't do it. So she would tell her. like, she, she makes, she uses the fact that she's a household name, <laughs> except for not you. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I to know now. get the word out. Like, even if she can't like with the Bill Cosby thing, the yeah. statute of limitations for most of those cases it's passed. So she can't actually, there's no legal argument for a right. lot of it, but she uses that to bring attention to the fact that this guy's a fucking monster. And to uh, try to get statute of limitations when it comes to sexual assault overturned in a lot of states. And, like, she does a lot of really fucking good work. Yeah, that's good. And is super uh, shit on for no reason other than, like, well, she makes... Well, she's a woman who... Yeah, she makes men uncomfortable. Happen. And yeah. she's trying to protect women, so... Yeah. Well, we don't right. have time for that. So. <laughs> uh, Moving on. Yes. A couple of records just that I've been listening to over the last couple of weeks. How? Ought. I know. <laughs> Room Inside <laughs> the World. Lots of music. Senses Fail. I don't know if you remember Census Fail. Did I see them? Oh, you might have. I mean, they this they they have a record called "Let It Unfold You," "Let It Unfold You," from two thousand four. "Buried Alive" was a huge track. I see yeah, so they they were never a band that was ever on my radar until um, their twenty fifteen album, something something about a thorn. Forget what it was, but it was really dark and scary and sad. And I was like, whoa, this band took a turn. Uh, and then I came to this, if there's a light, it will find you. And man, they, they're back to their pump, pop punk sort of roots or whatever, but it's also incredibly dark. And I know that they were kind of dark before Let It Unfold You was a really great record, but man, it, it's really good. It's like, I think he became a father and like now the mother is gone. I, I don't know if this is like real or not, because he kind of like melds fiction and re- and, and not re- what is it? fiction and reality? Reality is the other thing. What's the word? Yeah, no, so I don't know if like she is actually dead and like something, or she's like on drugs and left. I don't, I can't tell. But it's very like I don't know. We're getting to that age where it's like, oh, hearing about you know I'm a dad now, and I hope that you look at me and you love me, even though I didn't like my dad and all this kind of stuff. It's like, oh yeah, okay, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> Screaming females came out with the record finally all at once. It's great. It's really good. I'm. You probably didn't know it came out, because, um, but you like them. I mean, I yeah, I listen to them because you put them on a playlist. So yeah, so, uh, so I'd I'd recommend that. And then mainly I'd recommend Atlanta. Atlanta has been back now for one week. What? 
I know. And so I'd recommend if you haven't listened, watched uh, season one, oh go God. back and binge it. Go do that. Uh, definitely. I'm not. I'm bad at TV, but holy shit, I'm gonna be watching this every week. Uh, I was going to set a reminder on my phone to tell me it's Atlanta time. <laughs> uh, there was uh, it was really really great watching last year, and this year it's Robin season. I can't wait to see what they do with Paperboy, with Darius, what with Earn. I think with Robin, right? Isn't that her name? I don't remember. I think that's the pun, Robin season, and it's mm-hmm. all about her because he's making Star Wars, so right, right. she's not going to be in it a lot. I mean, he wasn't in every episode last year, so. Anyways, th- those are my recommendations. Kelly, did you know that we are uh, a real podcast? I mean, we are diving deep into Bob Dylan, which we means are. that we're real. We're real. We're doing this. We are on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram, SOTW Pod. That is those words that I said before. Slash SOTW pod. Um, we're also on Patreon, and this is really important, guys. Really important. It's patreon.com slash SOTW pod. <laughs> that's the name of that's the website. Oh, it's also important that uh, we want to try to break even on the show. So if you like us talking about this and talking about lots of other stuff, we're trying a lot of new things. This month, you can listen to the premiere of a new kind of show that we do after the show. You would call it an after show, but we're calling it You Want to Ramble. That's right. We're gonna ramble about things like our playlist and all the kind of stuff that's usually on our on our um, on our episodes. Now you might think to yourself, if you're a longtime listener, isn't this what mixed up confusion is? And we would say, shh, hush it, hush it. <laughs> mixed up confusion is a totally different thing. You were misled. I don't know who told you anything like that. No. So mixed up confusion for us. We're gonna be doing both of those shows this week. So when you listen to this song, you are also gonna get a mixed up confusion from 1965. That is where we dive into the songs that are on our playlist, but also just the music of 65 and what our relationship with it is. But then you can also listen to You Want to Ramble. It's going to be short, but every week we're going to put that on Patreon. If you are a $1, a $3, or a $5 subscriber, whatever ranges that we have, no matter what, even the $1, you have full access to our to us and you have full access to those episodes. So please, uh, if you are feeling inclined or you really enjoy it, spread the word. A, B, uh, message us. C, give us a dollar. You know, tip us. Tip us for for the time. And Lost Episodes, which you can also get a Lost Episode if you sign up on Patreon. That's a lot of reasons to That's go to Patreon. That's a lot of reasons, Kelly. It is. And to keep this train going, Episode 51, right? We're on the way now to Episode 100. We just have to start over. Episode <laughs> 1, essentially, on the road to 100. Let's pick next week's episode. Charlotte's a harlot Dresses in scarlet Mary Dresses in green It's soon after midnight And I've got a date With a fairy queen 